Well, hello, everybody. How you doing? Great. Fantastic. Good to see all of you, and welcome to Pathway. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Looking forward to taking us into the next installment of our In Focus sermon series, Seeing the Mission Clearly. We've been in this a couple of weeks, and we've had some very, very important texts we've been taking a look at, and I would encourage you to go back and pick up on those if you weren't with us for those two first installments in this series. We very much want to understand where are we in the world in which we live, the culture in which we live, where are we as a church and the responsibilities that we have for carrying forward the mission that God has given to us and what does that even look like. Times are changing all around us and we've been processing this together. And I do welcome you as we get into this installment today. I welcome those of you who are in the classic venue. Welcome to you. It was good to be with you just a few minutes ago. Welcome to those of you who are on the Moon campus. It was good to be with you a few weeks ago and be there with you and preach on that occasion. And those of you checking this out online, I guess I wasn't with you, but it's good to have you with us. We'd love to invite you to come and uh, fill up some of these seats as well in in one of the weeks to come. So it's good to see all of you. It is good to be together. Welcome to those of you who are right here in front of me in the room. Good to be together. Today we are going to be talking about the power of partnership. The power of partnership. Now, we've all seen the power of partnership at play and at work in different places in our normal daily lives, but with the Olympics coming up very, very soon. You excited about the Olympics? Absolutely. I love watching the Olympics. With them just right around the corner, I thought we could turn to the Olympics for some examples of the power of partnership. For instance, you've got the power and the speed of the two and four person bobsled that can go It speeds upwards of like 100 miles per hour. That's just absolutely incredible. Of course, the key to getting up to those sorts of speeds is to having a a, a very good partner-like start right out of the blocks to get things going. And when that happens, it is so very impressive. Here, take a look at one right here. It is so impressive when they get started that way. (laughs) And when they don't get started that way, it's not quite as impressive. As you can see there, poor guy's going all the way down the chute. Down the chute, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. Here's another example. Again, not picture perfect, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's, there's teamwork anyway. Look at the way. He just grabs him by his onesie and he pulls him in. And uh, that, that's pretty awesome. That's the power of partnership that you see at work there in the bobsled. And there's, another, there's also partnership that's at work in pairs figure skating. If you take a look at this, you can see that also. It's so elegant and graceful, except when it's not. See it again. But I love the way she holds her form all the way to the end. But finally, you get to the end and you can relax. Or or not. One more time. It doesn't always work out, that partnership, the way that you think it will. But I'm convinced that as we watch the Olympics, there are going to be some fantastic examples, amazing examples of of partnership, and we're going to see the power of partnership at work there. And we're also going to see it at work today in a text that I want to go ahead and look at with you. It has to do with a situation where somebody was trying to accomplish a huge life goal, but he couldn't do it by himself. He needed some other people to step in and assist him, and when they do, 
he's able to do some things he never would have been able to accomplish on his own. And the place that we see that is actually in the scriptures, and I would invite you, I'd love for you to see it for yourself, so grab a Bible and open it up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Now, by way of background, the Apostle Paul is the guy who's written this letter, and he's got some very ambitious goals. In fact, his goals are so big, what he desires to do is to preach the gospel to the entire Roman Empire and have it influence the entire Roman Empire. And he knows if he's going to do that, at some point he's going to have to get to Rome, the head of the empire, and to teach and to preach there. And so that is major on his goals. And he does get there to Rome, but he doesn't go as a missionary. He gets there as a prisoner. Because what's happened is that Paul was in Jerusalem and he's preaching the gospel and, and not everybody liked hearing about the gospel. The Jews were particularly upset with him, most of them. And so they actually trumped up some charges to get him to stop preaching and to get him arrested. And Paul wasn't about to stop preaching and so these things kind of work together and he ends up in prison and he's there for a while, and they're trying to put him on trial, and Paul realizes he's not going to get a fair trial when it's the Jews who've put him on trial, and he's there in Jewish country, he's there in Judea, and so he appeals to his Roman citizenship, which gets him a trial instead in Rome. And so they put him on a boat, and they send him to Rome as a prisoner. And you can read about the very harrowing journey that he had to Rome. He did it by, he was on this ship, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 27 and 28. That'd be some great extra credit reading for you later on. Now, once he gets to Rome, Paul's in chains. He's under a guard. He's under house arrest there in Rome. And the conditions weren't horrible, but he wasn't able to move around and do whatever he wanted to do, go where he wanted to go, earn a living or anything like that. And he was responsible to pay his own expenses while he was there, which is creating a problem if you can't go and work. So what is he going to do? Well, he's going to thankfully have some people who desire to partner together with him to provide for him so that he's able to press forward in accomplishing some of the things that he is there and desiring so much to do. And these are some people in Philippi, people that he had met on one of his missionary journeys. He goes to Philippi, he preaches the gospel, he sees a church start there, and it's from that church that these people are partnering with him. Well, how can they partner with him when they're hundreds of miles away? Great question. Stay tuned. <laughs> We're going to get to that in a moment. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he's there in chains in Rome. And he, we see that he is so very thankful for the power of partnership and for those who have stepped in to assist him that he writes about that right at the beginning of this letter in chapter 1. He writes this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He's writing this to these people in Philippi who've helped him. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your, what's the word? Partnership. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, just what did they do to be such great partners? Well, he still doesn't tell us here in chapter 1. Instead, we have to go down to chapter 4, which is the passage you've already started to turn to, or I hope that you have, Philippians chapter 4. If you haven't already, get your way there. Philippians 4 is where we start to see some of the details that brings this into perspective. And there in chapter 4, look down to verse 14, and you can see here's what he has to say. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. 
it was good of them to share in his troubles. Now, we're still not told yet. He's still not saying exactly how they shared in the troubles, but it's good that they did it all. And here's why. Because they're hundreds of miles away. We all know how easy it is, out of sight, out of mind, or, or we have enough troubles of our own in trying to navigate our way through our own problems, let alone try to help somebody who's a hundred or hundreds of miles away. It's like we're plenty busy on our own, but that's not the attitude of the Philippians. They very much wanted to assist Paul. They wanted to jump in and do whatever they could, looking outside of their own needs to the needs of somebody else. And that's very much what the attitude and the spirit we pray of Pathway Church would be all about. That we would be engaged looking outside of the doors of our own fellowship so that we might be able to assist those who are in our community, to assist those who are going through food shortages and going through hunger and meet those needs and partnering with others in that journey or providing clean water around the world or sending mission teams to different places to improve lives and to share the gospel or to send out missionaries to various places around the world and much more and we've heard back from others where we've gone and we've done those things they've said to us or they've written to us and what they have said to us essentially is thank you so much for sharing in our trouble Thank you for jumping in and partnering with us and assisting to get the work done that has so much been necessary to accomplish here. That's the power of partnership, and we've seen it, and we see it here as well, which leads to the first key that we see about the power of partnership that I want to give to you. There's an outline there for you to jot some of these things down on if you would like. And the first power of partnership or piece of the power of partnership is that it, en it enables the work. It enables the work. Paul tells the Philippian believers that it would be, that it was good of them to share in the trouble, but that's not all that he says. He goes on. We go on. Verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, in other words, in the early days in your acquaintance with the gospel, when you first came to faith in Christ, you didn't put it off. You didn't say, as soon as I mature, I'll go ahead and, and jump in. In your early days of acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul says they shared in the matter of giving and receiving. What he is saying is that the way that they have partnered together with him is for, is through financially caring for his needs, financially assisting him. When someone's in prison today, their needs are all taken care of. Their expenses are all paid by state and federal governments through the taxes that they collect from you and me. Now, that's not the way that it was in the ancient Roman world. Not at all. Paul was actually responsible. He was the one who was under house arrest, but he was responsible to pay for the house. He was responsible to pay for his own food and to meet his other needs financially as well. So how do you do that? If you're in prison, you can't go out and earn a living. Well, you can't. So again, you rely on somebody else, and in this case, it's the Philippians who stepped up and have been generous so that these needs might be met, so that they send him money for his rent, for so that he can order some Uber Eats, so that he can get some pizza takeout, you know, pizza delivery, gift cards. They're sending him these sorts of things. Because after all, he's in Italy, right? So why not pizza? That's where we get our pizza, right? And we've been eating pizza ever since. In fact, I saw a statistic this week that 
Americans together collectively eat 350 slices of pizza per second. Think about that. That's how much pizza we eat. And that's just the Pathway Youth Group. It's amazing when you, when you see what's going on there. Anyway, whatever form it came in, the Philippians were providing for Paul's needs in Rome, and it was enabling the work. What work? What's he doing that they are freeing him up to do? Well, one of the things he's doing is he's writing letters, like this letter that he's written to Philippi, and it's pretty important. We call the letters that Paul wrote while he was there in prison in Rome the prison epistles or the prison letters. Philippians is one of them. It's not the only one. Also, during this same time, in the, under the same house arrest, part of the rest of the ministry he's doing, he's writing letters to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, to Philemon. These are amazing letters that we have in the New Testament. And he's been given the ability to do this, and we're continuing to benefit from it a couple thousand years later because of the power of partnership because of the generosity, because of the partnership of the Philippians in Paul's life. The gift also enabled Paul's preaching ministry. See, Paul's feet were in chains, but his mouth wasn't. And so he was preaching every moment he possibly had the opportunity, including to imagine what it would have been like to be one of the guards guarding Paul, who is not going to be shut up about the gospel. He's just preaching it boldly, and no doubt he shared with them over and over and over again. When I was in college, I had, a, I had a job trying to help, you know, put myself through college, and it was an overnight job, a job nobody else wanted, probably why I got it, but it was overnight, and it was just me and one other guy who were working in this particular job, and we worked side by side all night long, several nights a week, just the two of us, and he loved to talk. He loved to talk about all these sorts of things. He loved to talk about his escapades with the women. He loved to talk about how he would go out and waste all of his paycheck betting on the ponies. He would tell me all about how, um, how this company that we were working for, how it would be run better if he was the one doing. He was like this constant Twitter feed. You know, if, if it was a verbal thing, if every time you had, had some social media post uh, notification, if it all just all of a sudden blurted it out, verbally for you to hear. That's what it was like working with this guy. And there's nothing I could do about it. And he didn't want to hear what I had to say. In fact, he thought that school was stupid. And so he didn't really think that much of me. But uh, this is what it was like. And that would have, would have, would have, would have been like to, to be there with Paul or guarding Paul, constantly sharing. And not just to the guards, because Paul gained a bit of a reputation while he was there, and people came to hear about him, and so people start showing up to listen to him preach. I just sort of have this picture of him sitting out on the porch with his, his leg chained to the pillar, and he's just preaching as people come by. And it's not just your ordinary Joe. Pretty high-ranking officials even came out, and they listened to what Paul had to say. It was a pretty incredible thing, and it's all enabled. This work is enabled because of the partnership of the Philippians. I can't begin to tell you how encouraging it is when people enable the work of the ministry today around Pathway as well. I love walking around on a weekend when I'm not responsible to be somewhere else at that moment and, and seeing other ministry that's going on. Occasionally I'll, I'll walk into the children's wing and, and usually the security pushes me out and says, you don't belong here. And I'm like, I'm the pastor. And they're like, do you have kids here? And I'm like, no. And they're like, go somewhere else. But sometimes I'll slip through and I'll, and I'll walk around and I'll see the different work that 
that's being done and the, the kids that are being held and sometimes I'll, I'll hear some, you know, some lesson that's being taught and I, my, I, I just have this great joy about kids who are being sh- shared with, who are learning to love God and to love others or, or in the student ministry wing and, and hearing how students are being, being brought into an understanding of the gospel and of what it means to live it out in the culture that we're in because they're being bombarded with so many other messages or, or to see hands raised or knees bowed in worship and in prayer. It just, it just fills my soul to see these things that are going on. And it's not just on the weekend. During the week, there's scheduled events that are happening around here all the time different uh, Bible studies or different projects and outreaches or, or things like the prime timers meeting here also. They're so committed to learn and to grow and to their once-a-month potluck. It's just great stuff. That's, or sometimes I'll walk around and they're just couple of people who are meeting and they're praying together or they're, or they're mentoring one or one of them's mentoring the other one and, and things happening. It's like, I didn't know that was going on around here, but it's just so awesome. And these are things that are happening because of your partnership, because of your involvement, because you're helping to make these things happen week by week, day in and day out. And I'm just so thankful for all of that that's going on. It's the power of partnership. When you give, you're enabling the work. That's the first thing that Paul says. I think you understand that. I just want to thank you for that in the way that it happens around here. And as he goes on, then he brings up another key in the power of partnership, and that's that it enriches the connected. It enables the work. It enriches the connected. The breadth of blessing that happens with those connected through partnership, and specifically through the partnership of generosity, is where he goes next. The first comes in verse 17, where Paul writes, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's saying, I'm not concerned about myself, even though he was experiencing tremendous blessing. He says, what I'm really happy about is what the benefit is for you. First blessing Paul mentions is one that is pleasing to the giver. Now, you wouldn't naturally necessarily think this, but it's pleasing to the giver. That's where he starts. Paul says that what he is glad for is a spirit of generosity that is evident in the Philippians and the win that that is for them. Now think about it in this regard. If you have kids and you're trying to teach them to be generous and to think of other people and not just themselves, how are you going to feel when you see them living sacrificially towards somebody else? I mean, after the shock wears off, right? How are you going to feel? You're going to feel wonderful. You're going to be happy because you can see that they got it. They understood and now they're living it out. And the Philippians are Paul's spiritual children, and he's thrilled about the fact that he sees that they are following through on the principles that they've been taught because of the benefit that it is to them. The blessing, or how it's pleasing there for the giver, is what he's talking about. He's seeing their growth. There's an attitude that's out there that suggests that if one person is blessed financially, then that's going to come at the cost or to the detriment of somebody else. That for somebody to be enriched, somebody else has to lose. Paul is saying that's not the way that it works when it comes to kingdom purposes. In this case, Paul's excited for the giver because he says, I love seeing your accounts being filled up. He's saying somebody's paying attention. And as you give, what Jesus said is as you give, it is given back to you. In fact, the way that he put it, he said it is actually poured out into your lap. This is about 
a blessing that comes to you when you give. And I know it seems counterintuitive, but it's absolutely true. And this is what I so much long for, for all of you. I long for this to be your experience. Now, having said that, do I want the ministry of this church to be funded? Yes, absolutely I do. I've told you how much I believe in the work of this ministry, so I'd be lying to say I don't desire that the work of the ministry is funded and supplied. And so let's just lay that out there, and I'll never be ashamed of calling people to enter into the ministry of accomplishing God's purposes in this place. But in the same time, what Paul is saying is as you do that, you need to understand that it's pleasing to the giver. It's a blessing, a benefit for you. That's what I want us to all understand and come to experience. And I've seen that. I've experienced that myself. And I can promise you that it is real. And there are many other people who are sitting right now listening who could tell you exactly the same thing. And I would love for you to talk to them if, you've, if, if you're Response to that is, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That just sounds like words, you know. I would love for you to talk to any one of them and hear that for yourself. Generosity is pleasing to the giver, he says. And as the passage goes on, he gets to the next blessing, and that is that it's pleasing to the receiver. Generosity is also pleasing to the receiver. Verse 18 says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. It's a blessing to the receiver. This whole thank you letter is celebrating the fact that the receiver gets a blessing and that only makes sense. Paul's whole ministry in Rome has been enabled by their gifts. And I can say the same thing about the ministries of Pathway. They have been enabled through your gifts. When you give to the people in ministries, there most definitely is a blessing for those who receive it. He's saying that. So there's a blessing. It's pleasing to the giver. That's awesome. It's pleasing to the receiver. And there's one more that he says here also. He writes about it as verse 18 continues. Says they are a fragrant offering, these gifts, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What are those last three words? Pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. That is awesome. I'm sure that you want your life to be pleasing to God. Paul says when you give, it is exactly that. Sometimes you might walk around, you might think, I wonder if God is pleased with the way that I listen, the way that I read the scriptures, the way that I pray. Well, here's a way, a place where you can get even more concrete than that. He says when you give, it is pleasing to God. That's beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. He's pleased because it demonstrates your commitment to him, your commitment to his word, your commitment to others, and your commitment to the ministry. In these verses, Paul is driving home the power of generosity and how it enriches all that are connected to it, the giver, the receiver, and God. But here's the thing. Not everybody is experiencing that. Not everybody listening right now is experiencing that. Not because I'm looking at specific ones of you and saying, well, you're not and you're not. But some aren't. I just know that just proportionally that's got to be the case. And the reason is, the reason you're not is because you're not engaged. You're not taking part in this way. And there are some reasons for that. There's some fairly standard reasons for that that come up 
fairly commonly, objections to why I'm not taking part in generosity. And the first of those, which might be one of yours, is that you would simply object and say, well, I can't. I would love to be generous, but I can't be generous. I've got mouths to feed. I've got bills to pay. When it comes to the end of the month, there's just nothing there, so I can't possibly do it. Maybe I'm not as disciplined as I should be throughout the month, but I try to do my best, and there's just nothing there. Or maybe for you, the trying to make ends meet, it's not so much a month-to-month thing, but a goal-to-goal thing, because you look down the road, and you see having surprise expenses, or see having a child, or see having a surprise child, or, or whatever the case might be, and it's like, I want to I make sure that I'm prepared for when that moment comes. Or maybe you look down the road and you say, there's a goal down there of college or of, of a wedding, maybe my own, maybe one of my children, or retirement. And I don't know how much all of that's going to cost, and so the only way that I can be prepared for when that day comes is to make sure that I'm squirreling away everything I possibly can so that I have it all left, the maximum amount left, so that I can take care of myself and so I can secure my own future. I just can't get involved in any step of generosity. When it comes to generosity, you say, I can't. Some others, and this might be the situation you're in if you're resisting generosity, your response might be, well, I won't. You know that you could be more generous. In fact, you might feel a bit guilty about the fact that you're not being more generous, but you just can't seem to pull the trigger. You might be feeling like, well, you know, I work really hard for the things that I have, and I, and I don't see a reason why I would want to just let go of that. I know that that's what God's calling me to, what you're saying. I get it. I've heard it before. I understand. But no, I won't. Now, I can't and I won't are a little bit different from one another, but you come down to the same final conclusion, and that is that I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to be generous. It's not an option. I still think you'd like to be. It's just you've convinced yourself that it's not the best choice for you. But what if I could tell you that you could have the best of both worlds? What if I told you you could be generous and you could have a secure future? You say, is that possible? Well, of course it's possible. What did Paul just tell us? He says generosity is pleasing to the giver, it's pleasing to the receiver, and it's pleasing to God. But still some are wrestling with this idea of letting go, and it looks like there were some in Paul's day that were wrestling with the same thing. And so he addresses them in verse 19 when it comes to the generous. And here's what he says to them who are thinking that same thought. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus. That leads us to the last feature of generosity and the power of partnership, and it's that it enhances the future. Now, you might hear that verse about God meeting all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus, and you're like, I love that verse. That's one of my favorite verses. In fact, I quote it, I think it, I pray it all the time. God, thank you. You meet all of my needs. You meet all of my needs. But this might be the first time that you've ever really recognized the context that it comes from, and that the context is one of being generous toward God. 
Notice the way that verse 19 begins. It begins with the word and. You say, is that important? Yes, it's very important because and is a conjunction. It connects what's coming with what has already been. Or in this specific case, it connects verse 19 and what it says back with verse 14 to 18. And you can't understand verse 19 unless you keep it in the context of verse 14 through 18, which means He's saying that all of your needs are met together with giving generously. That's what he's saying. And that's what turns that typical perspective of I can't or I won't on its head. We've been avoiding being generous because we saw it as a way to protect what we have so we'll have plenty for tomorrow, when in God's plan, it's actually as we give away that our future becomes secure. I said, it's actually as we give away that our future and God's orientation becomes secure. Paul said that elsewhere. He put an exclamation point on that when he wrote to the church in Corinth. These words right here. Take a look at them. Said there, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Thankfully, the verse doesn't end there. It goes on to say, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. As we've said already, Pathway has many very generous people. Some of you are those people. And I'm sure that you would be happy to give testimony of the fact that when you give, God gives back. That when you sow generously, you also reap generously. I'm sure of that. But others of us are not quite to that point where we have that confidence when it comes to generosity. And where you are is something that you need to figure out between you and God. You need to pray. You need to ask. You can't just keep punting this down the road. You can't just keep saying, well, yeah, I know that that's probably something I should do, and one day I'll get to that. Today's that day. You need to start praying, asking God, what is it that you would have me to do? Start there. And I would challenge you to begin to engage in this regard. Because I'm pretty convinced that what you're going to hear from God, if you pray, is Him inviting you into generosity so that you might experience the best of what He has in store for you. And the power of partnership all at the same time. And if you've never really jumped on board or never gotten connected in in doing something on a continual basis on a regular basis, then I'd suggest you find somewhere to jump in. Now, for many of us, we've become convinced that a a good starting place is the Old Testament tithe. 10% of all that we make. You might say, there's absolutely no way I could ever do that. Well, even setting aside how God pours back into our lap when we are generous, I would encourage you then to start somewhere anywhere, wherever you feel that God might be telling you to start and jump in and just see what happens. I have complete confidence in saying that because I know that he's going to provide. But you don't if you're not there. And your faith can't grow until you put your faith to the test. So whatever it is, give it a try. Jump in on a consistent basis. Keep it going for several months. And just see what happens. Again, many people believe that the Old Testament tithe, the 10%, is just a good starting place. 
But we live in a New Testament time where God's grace is even greater to us than it was to those in the Old Testament. So it seems appropriate that for those of us who've been engaged or that God might be calling you towards something that goes even beyond that. For years, Carolyn and I were like, well, we were taught growing up 10% is what you're supposed to do. So we just got right on board with 10%. And it was, we just kept on with that. And it's like, oh, way to go. And it's like God said, wait a second. I've given you so much blessing. I'm calling you to something more. And so little by little, we just continued to move that upward. And that might be where you're at. We've been faithful for a very long time at a certain place. God might be saying something different. I'm not saying that to you. What would God be saying to you is what I want you to hear. And I want you to respond to what he would call you to do. I already pointed out the way that your generosity toward pathway is facilitating life change around here, and that's what it's all about. You might think that this is a big place, and there are a lot of people, and so all of the needs are always met. Well, if you've been around here the last couple of months, you know that that's not the way that it works, because we've shared with you just very openly where we've been at, and some very generous people stepped up to help to meet that need, and I'm just so abundantly grateful for the way that people have responded to what God's call has been on their life. So thankful for that. And I've been around here long enough to see patterns of how, how God works, and I've been in the ministry long enough to see how God tends to work, and what happens is that God does His work through His people, and so he gives us the opportunity to engage in the work that he is doing. He gets the work done around here. Pathway has never been a place where we've got one or two or three people or who are just like way out there when it comes to income and they just sort of fund half the budget just by themselves. Pathway's never been that place. It's always been a lot of people just doing their part. And I've seen the cycle. And that's what it is. It's a cycle. And God brings people and, and some very generous and some very committed people to the power of partnership. And, and they jump in and they, and they do what they can. But inevitably, people move away or they pass away or they retire or whatever the case might be. And so where they were helping to fund things in a great way, now they aren't capable or they're not even around anymore for that. Well, what does God do? He brings people in, and he backs fill. And this is the process I've seen over all of these years here at Pathway. Well, guess what COVID did? COVID slowed that down. It slowed down the process of people choosing to engage. It all, there's typically a bit of a lag from somebody coming and then them finally jumping in financially, and that's just the way that it typically goes. Well, COVID has extended that. Maybe people were more concerned about what the future is going to hold, and so they've been a little bit more cautious, whatever the case is, and that's part of what led us to the challenge that we had at the end of last year. And so I would just, again, encourage you to pray. What would God be leading you to? Don't take this as me twisting your arm. The only thing I'm twisting your arm to do is pray and then listen to God and do what God calls you to do. In this series, we're talking about living in focus and seeing the mission clearly. That has implications inside the church and outside the church. But even before that, it has implications inside our hearts. Each of us 
individually because the church is made up of all of us individually coming together collectively. So it's what God is doing here that is leading us to understand what it is that God wants us to do collectively. And as God moves in us, we together create this sort of wave that moves us in a direction that helps us to understand this is where God is taking us. This is how God is supplying. This is the power of partnership. This is how these things are all getting done, and we're going to continue to try to focus in on where God would have us to be for moving forward. So pray. If you're married, sit down. Talk to your spouse. Pray together, God, what is it that you would have me to do? And here's the thing. The good news is that we can all get outside of the sphere of I can't or I won't. Why? How can we do that? Because God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that promise that you've given, that you're going to meet our needs. Help us to be mindful of the fact that that comes in a context, a context of choosing to be generous people, of stepping out. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church. I am so thankful for how you've brought us together, how you've united us as one. Some people are going to, to walk away from this saying, oh, you just got to talk about money. No, we have to talk about blessing. We have to talk about partnership. We have to talk about ministry. We have to talk about being in focus on, on what, the, what the mission requires of us. And this is why God has called us and formed us and, and united us together so that we might do something together we can't do alone. And so we need to, we must move forward for the cause of Christ. And at the same time, it's a blessing. It's pleasing to the giver. It's a pleasing to the receiver. It's a pleasing, Lord, it's pleasing to you. And that's how we want to live our lives. So Lord, thank you that you've called us together to do a work. And I would just pray, Lord, that you would Help us to move into realms that accomplish things that we would never imagine. That's what you've say, said your realm is, doing things that we can't even imagine, that are beyond our comprehension. And Lord, that's where we want to live. But it has to start with us as, as individuals. And Lord, I just want to pray in this moment for those who are here, those who are listening, wherever this is reaching them, who've been in a mindset of, I can't. Or a mindset of, I won't. And it's not that we don't understand. It's not that we don't feel the pull. It's not that we don't want to be generous. It's just that we've never made the effort of living by faith in this realm. Lord, I just pray that you'd give us the courage and the faith to try whatever that would look like. Lord, if that's where you lead us, that we would be faithful to respond. Why? So that we might see your goodness. So that we might experience the power of partnership. So that we could see ministry being accomplished in dynamic ways. So that we can go even beyond to reach even more people with the gospel, to see more people come into relationship with you, to see more people growing deeply in their faith. Lord, thank you for the many people who have helped this church to soar in the past. And we want to see it thrive for the future because the glory goes to you when that happens. So Lord, open our minds and our hearts 
to how it is that you would be speaking to us today. Help us to see the mission clearly, and when we do, we believe that we won't be able to help ourselves by joining in and celebrating and contributing to the power of partnership. Lord, work in us. Work through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.